If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. Tonight, I have with me Morgan Kimbaro. Did I say that correct? Yeah. Thank you for having me, President of the San Diego Young Republicans, he's been doing a lot of great work down here in San Diego, getting the Young Republicans excited, engaged. I've been to a couple of his events, and they're always a lot of fun. There's always a lot of people, so I always think that's a good sign of uh, a leader is that they're getting people out. Uh, so, how are you doing tonight, Morgan? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be on board. Um, I know we're going to talk through some stuff that's happening here in California as it relates to crime. Um, so, you know, let's get down to the bottom of it exactly what's happening here in California. Yeah. So the topic of tonight, and it's kind of topical right now is what's going on with the crime wave here in California, because there's a big issue with, and it just didn't happen overnight. It just didn't happen because of Kyle Rittenhouse and the verdict and all that. This has really kind of been like in place for a long time. And we're going to kind of start off walking through like what created that perfect storm. We have some like articles lined up. Uh, we're going to watch some videos as well, but I think we're going to talk about sort of the, the, the perfect storm that's happened and now how noodles is really kind of in a tough spot and he's backtracking on a lot of this, uh, and see how bad it is for Democrats in the state. So you ready to hop in? Let's do it. Cool. All right. So the first article is, uh, from the California globe, and it's California's alarming cocktail of criminal justice reforms. Uh, help if I put this up into the stream. Let's do that. Cool. Uh, California's alarming cocktail of criminal justice reforms responsible for major crime wave. The house that California's built and Democrats remodeled is on fire. Um, that, and it talks about all these different videos of stuff that you can see going on with crime. Um, it looks like there's a bunch of stores that are closing in San Francisco. Uh, there was a target uh, Mission Street between 3rd and 4th. This store loses $25,000 a day of shoplifting. That's $25,000 that walks out the door on average between 9 and 6 every day. Um, jumping through all the other stuff, let's talk about like why this art. Well, this article says, the author says, California has implemented an alarming cocktail of criminal justice reforms that are likely to lead to a major crime wave in 2016. Um, in 2014, California voters were sold on reforming the state's drug laws with Prop 47. However, the measure covered more crimes than nonviolent drug offenders. Moreover, drug addicts are likely to get less treatment in the state's drug courts because prosecutors have lost a bargaining chip in the plea process. Add to it the court-ordered prisoner releases as a part of the state's prison realignment under the 2011 AB 109, and you have a state ripe for a surge in crime such as what is already underway in Oakland, which even after Jerry Brown's eight years on the scene as mayor, the FBI still considers one of the most dangerous cities in America. Uh, so Prop 47, uh, if people don't really remember what Prop 47 was, I was working at the district attorney's office as a law clerk around that time uh, or shortly after Prop 47. And there was like a wave of petitions to reclassify a lot of these crimes or well, a lot of these misdemeanor or felonies into misdemeanors. Um, it was passed uh, in 2014 and it was called the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act. So if you think there's not funny business about ballot measures 
and how they name stuff. Prop 47 might be one of those perfect examples of how they name something to kind of confuse people of what it really is. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty interesting. And I'm reading right here. Um, they raised the theft, theft threshold to $950 per location. So I, I vaguely recall this coming on 2014. Granted, I wasn't too, uh, involved in politics like that and following it. But essentially, you know, when you're raising for whatever it was, right, to $1,000 and as a result, that's no longer a felony, but a misdemeanor. Well, you're seeing what we're going to talk about that here pretty soon. It's just essentially incentivizing to the fact like, okay, well, you know, we can, we can steal up to $950 without, uh, you know, being charged with a felony. It'll just be a misdemeanor. So I think that's pretty much the key item there. The night, you know, raising it from, you know, whatever, wherever it was to $950 to now constitute as a, a felony. Yeah. So for most people who don't, just to kind of back up, the difference between like a felony and a misdemeanor is usually the punishment. And that's what it classifies as. So a felony has a much stricter punishment. Usually it's over a year in jail. Uh, a misdemeanor could have jail time attached to it, but a lot of times misdemeanors have uh, lesser punishments or stuff that could be some sort of court ordered volunteer work or drug rehabilitation. Or if it's a DUI, you have to go to like Moms Against Drunk Driving, all these different classes. So you're not facing jail time if you get a misdemeanor most of the time. Most of the time, you don't have to go to jail. You face some sort of process, maybe a fine, a little bit of a fine. So there is a big difference between making it go from a felony down to a misdemeanor where there isn't this punishment aspect anymore. And people don't really feel like, well, if I get caught, it's not really that big of a deal. I can pay it off or I can do whatever or it could just plea it out. So that's become a huge issue. And I don't think people really realize how how drastic that is of switching a felony down to a misdemeanor um, for a lot of these cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bottom down, it talks about you at uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Even Dianne Feinstein, one of the most liberal members of the Senate, was concerned that would reclassify a wide range of crimes from a felony to a misdemeanor and would result in the resentencing and release of thousands of individuals already convicted of these crimes. So I think that's pretty interesting. Um, you've certainly seen a far left shift in the Democratic Party as a whole to really just, you know, for some just anarchy, you know, under the guise of criminal justice reform, right? Just in the same way that Prop 47 was disguised as a safe neighborhood and school act. Well, under this auspices of criminal justice reform, you have but many laws are promoting anarchy and lawlessness. And you had Dianne Feinstein at the time actually holding the line and saying that this was too far. So mm. I'd be curious to see what she actually says now based on kind of where the winds have shown politically in the Democratic Party. But even then, you know, she was, you know, sounding the alarm then. Um, yeah, it's funny because you see some of these politicians and we'll get to like, Newsome kind of backtracking on this in a little bit. Uh, one of these other things, uh, it was removing the ability to order drug rehabilitation programs rather than incarceration. Um, how much of it do you think that that plays into what's going on right now with a homeless issue here in California? Because a lot of times we know that a lot of pe homeless people are struggling with drugs. Um, and if a lot of these issues are kind of dropped down to misdemeanors, which 
They don't even have to show up a lot of times. Even if they don't show up, there's not a huge penalty. And judge can't order them to drug rehabilitation. How much of that do you think is like contributing to the issue of homelessness right now across California? Oh, it's it's absolutely huge and detrimental what we've done to our homelessness population. Now, you know, there's high degrees of uh, you know mental illness that are due to drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And if we don't have the ability to put these people in rehabilitation centers for their problems, then they're just going to continue to remain on the street. Now, me personally, I think it's important as we deal with these, you know, as we're taking an approach to the homelessness issue, that we're approaching this with compassion and that we need to remove these people from the streets and put them in an area that's not just a drug and alcohol rehabilitation, right, getting these people clean and sober, but also rehabilitating them back into society. And that means, you know, helping them develop the skills to get back in the workforce, right, how to apply for housing, right, how to you know, open up a checking account or a bank account, right? Really get these people back on their feet. So, you know, it, it, in many ways, this issue has been neglected. It's it's just been a treadmill. You know, these same people are ending up back on the streets and we really have to go through some changes here in California if we're going to fix the issue. And it starts with being able to put these people through drug rehabilitation centers. So stepping back, um, off of Prop 47, before that, talks about Assembly Bill 109, uh, which was way back in the day in 2011, 10 years ago. Uh, and that was Governor Moonbeam's signature legislation as he sold it as prison realignment. Um, AB 109 only served to overwhelm county jails by rehousing nonviolent state offenders from prison. AB 109 has been a failure. Governor Brown had a choice. He could have built more prisons, but instead he reduced the population by releasing or pushing inmates to local county jails which are not designed to house someone past the year and prevents law enforcement from taking low level offenders in. Um, yeah, and I guess this is part of, you know, California, uh, th- this progressive, I, I don't even think it's really progressive. I mean, it's the progressive ideal that they're trying to push of like getting rid of policing and, and prisons and, and for-profit prisons. Even there's a good amount of for-profit prisons here in California. They haven't really done a successful job of getting rid of them. Um, it's all this like pie in the sky idea of, well, we want to reduce prisons and we want to get rid of this, but they just don't really see like the, the outcomes or the unintended consequences, or maybe they do. And they just don't really care. Like they didn't really think, well, if we kind of overwhelm our, our prison populations, what's going to happen is we're going to have to release more people back into the streets. Um, and it's happening in neighborhoods all across California. Yes. It's always interesting to look at, you know, how does somebody come to these conclusions about how we should deal with the issues of crime? And I've talked to, you know, many people, you know, in the state legislature, state senators, state assembly members, and I ask them, you know, what is it like to work with these people that are passing bills like Assembly Bill 109 or something as heinous as SB 145 that essentially legalizes pedophilia? I say, how do these how do these people come to these conclusions? Like, how do they come from you know a more, any more convictions that they may have to these bills? And mm-hmm. it is ideologically driven to their core that they think that you know prisons are overcriminalizing. You know, we're overcriminalizing crime that that most of the people in prison should not be there. But if you actually look at the statistics. I mean, certainly there are you know we see in the in in the news people that are on death row 
uh, not being there, right? And, 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 it, and it comes like a referendum on our whole uh, justice system and prison system that it's broken. Well, certainly, you know, those are, you know, an anomaly, dime in a dozen, they shouldn't be happening. But for the most part, people that are in prison should be in prison and they're there for reasons due to heinous crimes, due to violent crimes, due to drug trafficking. Uh, so certainly, you know, it, Assembly Bill 109, you know, w- what classifies as a nonviolent state offender, right? We really have to get into that uh, legal term and definition. You probably know more about that than I do. But essentially, they're kind of finding a workaround, right, to send these inmates to local pris- local jails instead of prisons. So, you know, maybe they're not, you know, going through their full sentence because they can't at these local jails. So I think it's, uh, you know, obviously a dereliction of duty here and due to a radical state legislature that uh, doesn't uh, is not held in check. Yeah, and if we're talking about like a human rights issue, it doesn't seem in the interest of of uh, human rights and human dignity. If you send an overwhelmed county jails, which are not designed for long term holding of prisoners, they're usually designed for holding someone until trial, until they're they get a sentence. If they get a longer sentence, then they go to state prison. Um, or if it's a federal crime, they go to federal penitentiary. Um, and those prisons are more designed for long-term inmates and long-term prisoners and shoving a bunch more people into these County jails and overwhelming them is counterintuitive to this idea of like recognizing them as humans and human rights. And you're putting them in, in conditions that are, are deplorable, that they're probably absolute squalor. Uh, you're probably seeing people shoved into big rooms with many different bunk beds. They're, it's not probably not as sanitary as they would like it. Um, it's probably not as safe as they would like it. Um, so it's interesting that you have politicians like Governor Jerry Brown, who pretend that they're all about human rights and human dignity. But by doing AB 109, what they've done in effect is they've actually made it worse on those prisoners because they have to go to a worse facility to serve out their sentence. And that's something, another unintended consequence. I don't think they realize that like what happens when there are people who have to serve their, their sentence, right? There are people who, um, they, they get sentenced to five, 10 life. But if you're serving more than a year or several years in County jail, where it's not designed for you to serve more than a couple of years, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. It's just not that prison isn't a pleasant experience, but it, that d- prison is not designed for you. And it's just another unintended consequence of their progressive agenda. Yeah. Well, perhaps call me old school. Uh, prison should never be a pleasant experience, right? It should be, you know, at least that's what I think about it. But, you know, I, I think if there's one saving grace, at least they're being sent somewhere. If you recall last year during, you know, 2020, we were actually letting some of these prisoners out of prison due to COVID. So, uh, you know, it's backwards, right? I mean, we're clearly, you know, we're, we're letting these people out of prison in certain, in many circumstances. And at the same time, you know, we're, we're getting rid of, uh, our brave first responders for, uh, for not complying mm-hmm. with mandates. So, you know, it certainly is kind of a reversal of morals and ethics, uh, of, of, you know, what a governing, functioning civil society should be right protected by our law enforcement and uh you know things need to change obviously and you know it's you know, with laws like this obviously we're not on the 
We're not fixing the problem. So the next one they talk about is Prop 57, which get ready for this title. It's the Public Safety and Rehabilitation Act. Um, now allows nonviolent felons to qualify for early release and parole boards can now only consider an inmate's most recent charge and not their entire history because of this proposition. Uh, so a little context for that, that means that if you were in prison because of one charge or one crime, and now you're up for parole on that, they could only look at that one crime. So let's say someone's picked up for armed robbery or something like that. Um, now they're going to go out on parole, but they can only look at armed robbery. But if the person has priors of sexual assault or he's a sex offender or anything even more heinous, they can't look at that and say, well, we don't think you should really be back out on the streets because of your prior history that you're not, you're, you're not a nice person. We shouldn't have you back out on the streets because you keep committing these horrible crimes. Uh, they can only look at armed robbery and be like, okay, armed robbery, you can get parole. So that's a big difference because now you're taking the ability for people to make these decisions out of their hands. Um, and just as a little side note, um, both Prop 47 and 57 were given their titles, their misleading titles by the most unpopular vice president in American history, uh, then Attorney General Kamala Harris. Uh, so it's just another chip away and crimes that were now considered nonviolent under prop 57, which they reclassified are human trafficking of a child, rape of an unconscious person or by intoxication, drive by shooting at inhabited dwelling or vehicle, assault with a firearm or deadly weapon, assault on a police officer serial arson, exploding a bomb to injure people, solicitation to commit murder, assault from a caregiver to a child under eight years old that could result in a coma or death or felony domestic violence. Now I want to see what consider is considered a violent crime now after reading that list. Yeah, I mean, like that's, and I was looking through this, I was like, why would you want to reclassify especially in a state that is so anti-gun, why would you want to make it a nonviolent crime for assault with a firearm? Wouldn't you want anything involving a gun to be like, let's throw the book at him so that nobody ever thinks about pulling out a gun or nobody ever thinks about self-defense or anything like that? Why would you lessen a crime with a firearm? That was something that I looked at. I was like, that doesn't really make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, when you have Kamala Harris, who billed herself as the progressive prosecutor while she was the attorney general of California, remember, she was uh, charging parents for their students being truant and was, you know, going after, you know, marijuana crimes. But, you know, in this sense, right, was passing a proposition 57, uh, all you just mentioned is now considered nonviolent. So, you know, Attorney General Kamala Harris, right at the time, um, you know, we'll get into kind of as it trickles down lower level, right, to the DA being very progressive and being funded and backed by George Soros. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, when you have a very progressive and lawless, at times, you know, Attorney Generals that are promoting lawlessness and anarchy, then this is what you're going to get. Yeah, and I don't think you could show that to any any person, I, and I'm, 
If you were to show this list to voters before Prop 57, before people voted on Prop 57, if you said, hey, do you want to reclassify exploding a bomb to injure people as a nonviolent crime? They'd probably look at you like you were crazy because I don't know how any common sense person would believe exploding a bomb to injure people is not a nonviolent. And most of these crimes are pretty violent. Rape of an unconscious person by, you know, I thought Kamala Harris was all about the Me Too movement. And now she's fine with making it a nonviolent crime of rape of an unconscious person by intoxication. That sounds like the very de definition of like Me Too and what was going on with sexual assault. Well, yes. And I think what happens in politics, right? I mean, you know, there's this perception here in California. Uh, I think with a lot of their voters, you know, they want this very liberal, progressive paradise. And so they're voting for these politicians. But, you know, as we witnessed in this last election, they voted for things that were they voted against ballot measures and props that were, you know, that were going to be progressive, but they voted them down. Right. Including affirmative action. Um, including, you know, uh, certain independent contractor laws, right? These, these built, these ballot, these initiatives that were on the ballot. So, you know, there, there's, there's, there's certainly a, a, you know, a push by a lot of these politicians. You know, you have these 2000 page bills, right? At times that are being passed through the house, right? Who's actually reading them? Well, it's the same thing with these propositions, right? If somebody's actually taking the time to read through these things and who in their right mind is going to vote for them, certainly you're going to get like 10 to 15 just percent of crazy people that would still vote for this, that right, or, 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 or for these types of things. But you, 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 these things would never pass. And that's keeping this, the public just low information, you know, uh, you know, un, uh, unaware of these things. And, and you know, that's, that's politics. And that's what these politicians do here in California. And that's why we're in the state of where we are in California. It's funny. The article says that Democrats even killed six real criminal justice reform bills in California legislature in 2019, which would have expanded the definition of violent crime to include human trafficking, elder and dependent abuse, assault with a deadly weapon, rape and other crimes most Californians consider violent. So Democrats themselves are halting the ability to reclassify these as violent crime. Now, the libertarian in me says there's a difference between not or, or what they call victimless crimes and these sort of crimes that need to be prosecuted. When you are harming someone, when you're taking their life, when you're invading their, their bodily integrity, uh, those are violent crimes. Those are acts against someone. Those are victim victim crimes. Uh, this isn't an issue of like, oh, it's a victimless crime. You know, if I smoke a joint or I do shrooms, that's a victimless crime. Why do you care? That's like the future. Um, and, you know, that's for another show to debate whether that's really the way criminal justice should go when it comes to victimless crimes. But when you're talking about these crimes, even if you're a libertarian, you have to look at this and go, whoa, hold on. This definitely violates the non-aggression principle of you're harming people, you're harming their property and you're harming people um, and that in violent, horrible ways. So these are definitely crimes that I'm surprised that they Democrats keep blocking it. I don't you know, I don't know why I'm sure there's plenty of theories why Democrats want to keep blocking this and why they, they think it's a good idea to keep these clearly violent crimes as nonviolent. But this is the state of where we are right now. Yes, well, 
you know, I, you know, within the defund the police movement, there's this push for, you know, public, you know, me- mental health responders. I think it's what they're calling or, or you know, people that are going to deal with, uh, you know, responses and calls that are not violent in nature. But, you know, how, how much are we actually going to be able to get done and get solved without a police presence? Right. So mm-hmm. I think obviously we're we, we really need to show the public what are in these propositions, what are what's currently happening, the, the types of bills like SB 2045 that are being passed through our legislature. Right. Just highlight that. And it really becomes an information game and a, and a vote on the issues and not necessarily a D or an R. Uh, and so that's where I think, right, you, you do a great job of that, Phil, uh, and other organizations do too, that are, you know, built as nonpartisan, that are actually going through the issues and actually delivering the information to the voters so that they can make an informed decision, right? Because, again, you know, reiterating who in their right mind would vote for something or elect a politician that would vote on a bill that, makes these crimes nonviolent. So it's an information game. And if we just continue to get the information to the voters, then, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to elect politicians or be in favor of these types of propositions and bills. So in one of the, in the California officials who supported in 2014, prop 47, obviously Gavin Newsom, uh, but he's done an about face and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, San Francisco District Attorney George Gascon, and you wanted to talk more about that specifically on the more local level. So George Gascon was the DA of San Francisco. He's now the DA of Los Angeles. There's another DA, uh, Bowden is his name, uh, who is facing, you said he was facing a recall right now. So there's two DAs who are, who are kind of facing, Gascon's also facing a recall, isn't he? Yes, that's correct. And uh, it looks like, um, I'm just reading this article from yesterday, the recall of SF uh, District Attorney Bodine begins in San Francisco, has now officially garnered enough signatures to be on the June 2nd, June 7th, 2022 ballot. And according to the latest campaign filings, the recall chase team has nearly one and a half million in campaign contributions. So, um, you know, what's happening right now in San Francisco is that you're actually having targeted uh, looters go to certain stores by the, the, by, by the 40s and 50s just to ransack these stores. And due to these policies that are, you know, essentially non-intervention, that they're not going to apprehend, you know, these people that are ransacking the stores. You know, what Teresa Boudin, he's promoting lawlessness. And if you actually go in his background and his familial background it's pretty alarming of you know some of the papers that he wrote in college and uh his father had direct links to bill ayers um bill ayers was uh if we can just uh bring up who bill ayers is um for people that don't know but he was uh part of the weather underground militant group which just was described as the fbi as a terrorist group um, Bill Ayers potentially had some contacts with Barack Obama, so he was in, in the Chicago area. Um, but just kind of a referendum on how radical this guy Chase Bodine is, um, backed by George Soros, just like George Gascon. <clears throat> and even in these very liberal areas where, you know, it doesn't get more liberal than San Francisco, they're still rebuking this guy because 
it's 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 no sense of criminal justice it's just anarchy and lawlessness and you know it's a referendum on exactly you know certain population groups they have this liberal ideology and liberal agenda but once they start to actually experience the crime firsthand well then they start to sing a different tune and clearly a referendum on getting booty now to there shows that as well as gascon right i mean he actually replaced a woman um, named uh, Lacey, uh, I believe, who was the first black DA in, in Los Angeles. And she was a Democrat, um, actually was had very good relationships with police. But George Gascon got in there in 2018 with, you know, the blue wave that happened throughout, uh, you know, the House of Representatives, right, really through a lot of California, which was, you know, essentially rebuking Trump. Uh, and so George Gascon gets in there. And then over the course of those next you know, since he's been in office, has not prosecuted crime, has let sex offenders go. <clears throat> and throughout the city councils in Los Angeles, they've voted for no confidence. And so now, you know, I think, you know, he, it is on the ballot to recall George Cascone, right? Right, Phil? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, yeah. that's on the ballot now. So, you know, one of the things I tried to tell as many gubernatorial candidates here in California as possible, whether it was Kevin Faulkner, Kevin Kiley, Larry Elder, in that look, you might not win those areas in San Francisco or Los Angeles, but you'll certainly run up enough margins. And a great way to do that is to run against these rogue prosecutors in Chesa Bodine and George Gascon to talk to the issues of crime, anarchy, and lawlessness, and that how this cannot be tolerated and that we have to have safe neighborhoods. So, you know, people are, are voting. Uh, against this and, and, and it's it's the issues it's not democrat or republican it's many democrats are voting against these people because now their families their livelihoods their safety are at risk mm-hmm. yeah I and mean, you brought up a lot of good points um especially politically there i mean these are issues that people are facing in these cities and whether they're d or an r uh, if it happens to you, it's it's not something that people want to happen to them. And and even if you're a D or an R, or maybe you supported it or you voted for Prop 47 or Prop 57, um, now that it's coming home to roost, the, the chickens are coming home to roost, you probably aren't a big fan of it. And there are some open minds out there. And, and that's an excellent point that if there are any conservative or Republican candidates who are trying to run up margins, uh, they have to go on offense in these cities and that this is a golden opportunity to say, like, as governor, I'm going to be tough on this stuff and, and you know, highlight why are Democrats blocking the reclassification of clearly violent crimes from nonviolent? Why are they blocking it? And just say, you're, you know, that's a I don't know why that's not a bigger issue to say Democrats literally want crimes that are violent to be nonviolent for some reason and, and that doesn't protect your neighborhood that doesn't protect your family i don't think it, most people on any side of the spectrum are going to look at it and go yeah i'm cool with bombing to injure people as as a nonviolent crime that doesn't get punished as harshly unless you're that person who likes to bomb people to injure people um but another thing i don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole I mean, these are these are facts. This is not conspiracy. You can go back and look it up. George Soros has funded these DAs and he's funded a lot of DAs in California and across the country. It's sort of his M.O. And 
it always it, it's one question that I always try and ponder is is why would someone like George Soros want to continue to put in these DAs who are soft on crime? Like what what's the is it the idea of like they want to destabilize society? What is the point? And I'm trying not to put the tinfoil hat on. I'm not trying to turn this into Infowars, uh, but I, I guess I'm trying to figure out why do they keep supporting DAs who are soft on crime? We had one here in San Diego um, who thankfully did not win. And uh, Summer Stevens won. And she's a fantastic DA down here in San Diego. Um, but that's something I, I, I kind of struggle with. I don't know if you have any thoughts on like, why would you think a, a George Soros or a, any big liberal or progressive donors contribute to these DAs who want to kind of be soft on crime. Yes. Well, if I could recommend a white paper, there's a great, uh, great set of white papers, I should say, through the Heritage Foundation on the rogue prosecutor movement that I've had taken some time to go through. And so I have my thoughts, right? And this, I'll try to be absent from conspiracy as much as possible. But I have my, you know, my perspective and, and, and my what I think of why George Soros supports something like this and, and people like Mark Zuckerberg and, and Jeff Bezos that are pouring lots of money into, you know, our political system uh, via progressive causes. And I think what it ultimately gets down to is this is what these people believe and they've gotten influence, power and money to influence the political system. Um, right. I mean, I, I went to school in Silicon Valley, so I got to kind of be around tech. Uh, I work in tech, so I know a lot of these personality types uh, and they have this vision for the world that's very progressive. And with their progressive vision, right, it, it's kind of bucking normal socialism slash, you know, very radical progressivism in that it's a deconstruction of capitalism in all senses of the word. Well, now it is a remaking of our economic system through big corporations that are capitalists to the bone, right? As it breaks down to finances, they want to have their share in the market, monopolize in many aspects, you know, oligopolize, right? Or duopolize with these other tech companies. But they're still promoting these very progressive causes, as we saw, right? When George Floyd was killed, you had these just companies online, right? Of how they were going to support the, the Black Lives Matter agenda, this very progressive social justice agenda. You know, these, these people believe it to their core. Uh, you know, now they have billions of dollars so that they can influence the political system. And they think that there's an overcriminalization of our criminal justice system. And so they want to put these DAs in place. Well, I think, you know, it's very strategic and smart of them because we've, you know, people have been so focused, uh, you know, on, on national politics, on congressional races and Senate races for so many years. Well, George Soros came up with an idea and it was actually... George Gascon was his first guinea pig, if you want to call it that, of this rogue prosecutor movement to put these people, you know, in DA positions and not enforce the laws, right? Not prosecute these crimes. Uh, so it goes from California all the way to Chicago, Kim Fox, um, the, the, the DA in, in Boston, I know it was very liberal as well, um, right? So we can just go through these very progressive cities and find them. But Ultimately, what it gets down to, I think it's ideology driven for a lot of these people, and they have the means and the resources to influence the political system as they want it to be. So bring it local. Um, talking about San Francisco, 
this article from Breitbart. San Francisco retailer says the mayor and her entire team should resign. Um, San Francisco retailers are venting their frustration at San Francisco Mayor London Breed and the city administration after mass looting events over the weekend that saw mobs ransacking stores in Union Square and suburban Walnut Creek. Uh, retailers who had already suffered looting the Black Lives Matter rights of 2020 have had enough and are speaking out against the left-wing mayor and other public officials have failed to protect them, the San Francisco Chronicle reported. The mayor and her entire team should resign, said John Chachas, Chachas whose family owns luxury retailer Gumps on Post Street in Union Square. You can't really run a retail enterprise if you have to board up the windows five weeks before the critical Christmas selling season. Gumps is reevaluating being in San Francisco, uh, said Chacha as the company's chairman and CEO. The fact that the city can't maintain sufficient order that businesses can operate in without fear of being damaged leaves him to conclude that officials may have no understanding of the concept of how an orderly city is necessary for commerce to function. That means we can't operate a business, so we evaluate our options to be elsewhere unless this nonsense ends. And we're going to get to, we're going to show some videos of what happened in San Francisco over the weekend that's really kind of become national news now and what sparked us talking about it tonight. Um, and that's that's the economic impact that you're going to start seeing across California in cities like LA and San Francisco. And I think you've already started to see it in San Francisco. I haven't been back to San Francisco in years. I remember I used to go there in college. Uh, I love San Francisco. I thought it was a beautiful city. Uh, my grandfather lived there. Uh, when I used to, when we used to go there in college and, and go there for the day, it was great city, a lot of cool stores, restaurants and stuff like that. But I've heard from people that it's not, at all the same. It's completely different. Um, the streets are completely dirty. It's, it's hard to walk down. It's just not as nice as it used to be. And you're going to start seeing the economic impact of this in San Francisco is they're going to start chasing a lot of these high end businesses who can afford to move. They're going to move out of San Francisco. Absolutely. Well, um, it looks, where is this? Um, in Union Square and suburban Walnut Creek. So, you know, Walnut Creek is across the bay, one of the most affluent areas in California, if not uh, the rest of the United States. Um, so, you know, once they start, you know, it's, if it's in Union Square, it's going to go to places like the financial district, right? It's, it's You're not going to be able to contain the crime just in one area of San Francisco. It's going to spread into the areas where you have, you know, the tech companies, the the financial institutions, and then what are you going to do then, right? As I was saying previously, perhaps it actually does start to change because it starts to hit these, you know, fluent liberal areas that are not used to the crime. Um, but, but but it's a squeeze out, right? And I remember going to San Francisco as a young kid, you know, when I was eight or nine years old and how beautiful that city was. And now going back, you know, in my mid to late twenties, it's such a change, you know, rampant homelessness. You know, we think homelessness is bad here in San Diego. Uh, it's up to 11 in San Francisco and it's tragic. Uh, you know, it's heartbreaking, but you know, it's San Francisco can't be a, a vision for the rest of California or the rest of the United States as some Democrats like to say that California should be, or, or San Francisco should be a vision for the rest of the United States. Right. I mean, uh, and it's just going to get worse, right? And this article ties in uh, what we discussed, Prop 47, right? Which which brings up, uh, you know, a misdemeanor uh, 
any theft below 950, right? So this is just incentivizing the crime spree that's currently happening in San Francisco. Yeah, the article even goes on to, again, mention the city has had two successive district attorneys, George Gascon and Chesa Bodin, um, who have prioritized criminal justice reform over law enforcement, presiding over a rise in petty crime, homelessness, and public nuances like drug use and even defecation. Mayor Breed championed cause to defund or reimagine the police in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd last summer, diverting some money from law enforcement to black community organizations, though some police funding rose. The city also has also enforced vaccine mandates among first responders, putting nearly 200 personnel on leave in October. Um, and I think she had to backtrack on the whole defund the police a little shortly after because there were issues and there was rioting and there was a little bit of looting in 2020. So and then she had to come out and say, okay, well, we're going to start dedicating more police um, to kind of keep it, keep it under control here in San Francisco. Um, and I guess that's a perfect segue to the next article, which is you're, now you're starting to see a lot of these Democrats who were all defund the police and all this uh, at, in 2020 after George Floyd are now coming around and are, promising probably because their political butts are on the line that they want to increase funding for police and step up prosecution of these cases. Um, and the Modesto B reported Gavin Newsom blast recent retail thefts vows to up funding from police and prosecution. Uh, we are going to be more aggressive still in the space to help support cities and the prosecution of folks. Newsom said Monday in San Francisco, where he was attending a COVID-19 vaccination event. I have no empathy, no sympathy for these folks, and they must be held to account. Newsom said he understands how difficult these thefts are for affected stores and said his business, his own businesses have been broken into three times this year. Newsom found a hospitality company called Plump Jack, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. So even Gavin Newsom is backtracking on the defund the police. And I guess the, the feeling the heat politically for all these thefts and the rising crime in California. Well, what's it hit home, right? The, the tune changes and uh, you know, it's uh, it, it'll be very interesting to see as governor Newsom is up for re-election next year uh, coming off a recall election, you know, how much more conservative he actually is going to get. You know, I think for most of us, we thought, you know, once the recall is over, he was going to swing hard to the left, and he certainly has on a lot of these mandates, uh, as well as COVID policy. But I think on crime, uh, he's going to have to get more conservative on these issues um, because it's in people's faces, right? It's 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 happening, um, and now it's happening in his own stores, as he claims. So, you know, it, it'll definitely see over the next year, like, how Newsom is actually going to govern yeah, in one quote, he says, we need to break up these crime ranks and we need to make an example out of these folks. We cannot allow this to continue. Now, what does he mean by these folks? What's he talking? Just kidding. Um, State Republican Party lashed out at Newsom after his comments, arguing Democrats embrace of policies that reduce criminal punishment for some theft crimes, set the stage for burglaries he's now pledging to combat. Um, yeah, they're they're right. I mean, they're all they they supported he supported Prop 47 and Prop 57, and now it's coming coming full circle. Um, he's made his bed. Now he's going to lie at it, and now he's going to pretend like it's not a big issue. And, you know, it, stepping up money is one thing, but it doesn't change the root problem, which 
is that these laws are still not good laws that that they're still prop 57 prop 47 are still dangerous and that you you need to if he was really the leader of his party he would come to his party and say okay let's let's pass a criminal justice reform bill let's reclassify these clearly violent crimes into away from nonviolent back into violent crimes so they can get a more severe punishment um but he's not doing that he's just saying well i'll just throw more money at it and hopefully people won't really notice that I haven't really done anything about it. I haven't really changed the root cause of it. Well, I think one thing you can start with is a repeal of these, uh, you know, the vaccine mandates. You know, just here in San Diego, we're by December 1st, we're going to lose about 10 percent of our uh, police force. In addition to 33 percent of our uh, firefighters, Uh, rear wings, Britt Mayer has done a lot of great uh, statistical analysis reporting on that. Um, so I certainly you know, know you have a deep connection with her. So I certainly encourage your viewers to do the reporting that she's uh, watch the reporting that she's doing. Um, but, you know, I, I'm just very curious to see exactly, you know, are we going to hire more police officers? Is, is, is that what Gavin Newsom is going to come out and say? Or are we going to get tough? I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, again, I think it's just a wait and see game of what noodles will actually do. Yeah, I. I uh, I appreciate you calling him noodles uh, and any longtime listeners or watchers know what, what noodles means. But yeah, I, throwing money at it doesn't change it. It doesn't change the fact that these are bad laws and he should get behind a move to reclassify these laws. And he's going to do stuff if he wants to really address it. He's going to have to do stuff that will not be popular with his party. That may mean he has to build more prisons, which may mean he has to get rid of uh his predecessor and mentor jerry brown's ab 109 and get rid of that um because at the end of the day like he can boast about this surplus and how many vaccines they've issued and all that but if there's crime in the streets people don't really care and 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 that's stuff in your backyard it's kitchen table politics 101 if you don't feel safe in your neighborhood um people aren't going to feel safe in their neighborhood. They're going to move out. They're going to find somewhere else to go and you're going to lose that one citizen. You're going to lose that tax base. Um, and nobody wants to live in a crime riddled city or suburb or anything like that. Absolutely. Well, we've already lost one congressional district due to the exodus of California. So, you know, if California wants to continue to lead the way for the democratic party. Well, they're a, over the next 10 years, they're going to have to find a way to keep people from moving or else they won't have the political power that they do. So I think Gavin no. Newsom understands that. And I think we all have our uh, suspicions that he's aiming for a higher office, uh, a lot of the presidency. So, you know, Gavin Newsom has, uh, you know, made his bed. Now he has to lay in it or potentially get out and, uh, you know, make a new bed. That will be more conservative. So, you know, let's again, I, I, I just want to wait and see what Gavin Newsom is actually going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's actually going to fund the police or, you know, let the media provide air coverage for him and just let this pass. Or, you know, this problem gets so much worse, he actually does something with it. So, you know, and, and that's not, uh, you know, let's let's take a step back. I think, you know, obviously we had our all our hopes in this recall election, but going into 2022, which will, which we certainly believe is going to be a wave election in favor of the Republican Party. Well, Gavin Newsom's much more vulnerable uh, going into 2022 than I would say than he was for the recall election if things pan out the way that they do. So, 
uh, again, let's let's just see what happens. And one other point before we head to the videos about just throwing money at the issue. If you haven't had a chance to watch Jorge Ventura's Cartelville USA, uh, there's an interesting part in it where he talks to the sheriff and local law enforcement in Riverside and L.A. County um, discussing, well, why are all these illegal grows popping up? And it's because of Prop 64 and they reclassify the legal grows from a felony down to a misdemeanor. And the point being that you can give the law enforcement more money and you they would just have more people chasing around these illegal grows. The incentive is or the 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 disincentive to not do this is still there. Meaning you could still grow an illegal grow. And if you get caught, it's a $500 fine, whatever, who cares? You just move on, you come back the next day. So throwing more money at something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to solve crime. You're not solving the root of it and you're not really solving. Like You can prosecute people who are robbing stores all day. You're going to gum up the criminal justice system because they're just misdemeanors and they're little, you know, fines and stuff like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't change the deterrent of people not doing this action, right? Like that's at the end of the day, you can throw more money at the prosecutors or police and, and just create a bigger criminal justice system. But it doesn't change the fact that there's, you can still do it. And what, what you can say, well, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just going to face a fine or, you know, I'm not going to go to jail over, you know, robbing from the store or whatever. No, and to add to your point, um, you know, the illegal grow operations, right, as it's been decriminalized, uh, you know, some a congressperson that's been highlighting exactly what you talked about is Congressman Mike Garcia, who's in the 25th district. So that's uh, the Santa Clarita, Palmdale, uh, Lancaster, Simi Valley. He actually recently just spoke to the Lincoln Club here in San Diego. And in his area, there's illegal grow operations that are propping up that are actually being run by the cartels. So you might, we have this, you know, perception of the cartels that are pushing fentanyl, heroin, meth, cocaine. Uh, you know, they're not doing marijuana anymore. Well, they actually are coming into the United States in certain areas in California and actually setting up illegal grow operations and continuing, you know, their profitable business that way because it's been decriminalized. Um, so I think it's very important right, uh, to understand, you know, marijuana certainly is, uh, you know, can be argued as of a less uh, threat than these other drugs, but the crime aspect and the cartel and the mafia aspect of it comes with it too. So, you know, root cause, uh, you know, root cause is very important, as you mentioned, um, and it gets back to the laws that we have on the books of, of why this crime is persisting. Yeah. And that's what needs to be changed. And I, I don't think uh, noodles is going to change that. I think he's just going to throw money at it and pretend like that works. Um, so for anybody at this point, if you don't know what we've been talking about, I think it's important to watch some video, um, of what's been going on. And then I, I found this one video that was kind of laughable. Uh, we'll get to that and that that's the second video, but we can go over what's been going on, uh, in San Francisco. So this is from NBC Bay area. We begin with that breaking news in San Francisco. It's the first Friday night of the holiday season, and it is chaotic. Take a look. People running in all directions, police officers and security guards also chasing down suspects. We have several clips of video sent to us by terrified eyewitnesses watching all of this unfold. Again, this is in Union Square. 
Here's what we know. We just got off the phone with SFPD. They say this is still an active. Just to pause it right there. Uh, this looks like a scene out of a movie. Like you have cop cars flying by, you have people running. Like this looks like a scene out of a movie, not something you would see in a high-end district in downtown San Francisco, right? Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, for people that are just listening, we can't see it. You know, you have uh, police officers, you know, apprehending a suspect or, or running into a building. I mean, it's it's pretty heinous. It's pretty, you know, pretty alarming stuff. Crime scene that started around 8 o'clock this evening with the smash and grab of the Louis Vuitton store there in Union Square. When officers arrived, they said they saw several suspects, multiple people, have been arrested. Now, there are reports of vandalism at other retail stores as well. A heavy police presence in this area right now. A reporter on the scene overheard an officer telling a woman that they're actively looking for about 30 people who are trying to break into other stores. Now, in the past few minutes, we've also 30 learned people. that backup, more of it is on the way. We just spoke to San Francisco Supervisor Aaron Peskin. He says that motorcycle officers Tactical units are headed to Union Square right now. Of course, we're going to continue to keep an eye on exactly what's happening with this breaking news. We'll have an update for you throughout the news. So that's the uh, that's what's going on in the breaking news. I want to get one that's um, one that's more of the aftermath. Let's see, in this one, we'll do California Bay Area. Now, today, shoppers in retail stores are, of course, on high alert after a series of mass robberies over the weekend across the Bay Area. This all started on Friday night in San Francisco's Union Square and then continued into early this morning. Reports of people storming stores in Walnut Creek, Hayward, San Jose, and Pleasanton, some grabbing whatever they could carry and running off. KPX 5's Justin Andrews reports that it's not just retail. Some thieves went after people's medication. These criminals can be very scary to shoppers who are just trying to buy Christmas gifts in a lot of these stores. The Officials tell us that they appear to be moving very methodically and could strike again. We got our hands on this brand new vivid video from Saturday night. At least 30 criminals in a matter of minutes broke inside the Wellspring Pharmacy on Piedmont in Oakland. Workers tell me the robbers got away with lots of drugs. It's obviously a search for narcotics. Barry Dodlin, a sergeant with OP. Uh, and that's even scarier, I think, than just stealing a Louis Vuitton bag. I mean, you're talking about these drugs are going to be put out on the streets illegally. They, they could be, they could get in the hands of children. They can get in the hands of someone, a teenager who could abuse that, whatever these drugs are. Um, that's, that's scary. That's scarier to me than someone just stealing a Louis Vuitton. I think stealing medication that is probably with the intent of selling should be prosecuted pretty heavily. Yeah, but uh, it's a nonviolent crime, right? So, yeah. So there's not much you can do. It's it's a nonviolent crime, um, just a little fine and a, and a you know slap on the wrist. CD and president of the Oakland Police Officers Association says these criminals are bold, brazen, and could become more violent. So for listeners, uh, you can't see the video, um, but it is uh, a back. It looks like a storage room of a pharmacy. It is packed with people it looks like a black friday day, day doorbuster sale where everybody rushes in all at once to get what they want i mean there's a lot of people in this tiny little area just grabbing 
boxes and bags full of stuff. So to give you an idea of what's going on in this, this video we're watching. Breaking into pharmacies, breaking into stores, and attacking people's homes. That's just in Oakland. This spree is crawling all over the East Bay. In Hayward yesterday, witnesses tell us 40 to 50 people holding hammers smashed into Sam's jewelers, leaving workers and shoppers shaken. The mob of looters and robbers got off with some clothes and shoes from other stores too. The criminals are attacking these Bay Area businesses while they're open, potentially putting lives at risk. There's absolutely a very similar uh, MO with what you're seeing in other cities and what we're seeing here. We just have significantly more violence associated with it. On Saturday, the Nordstrom in Walnut Creek was hit too. There were dozens running with weapons, terrorizing shoppers, assaulting employees and snatching back. Again, assault with a deadly weapon, nonviolent crime, thanks to Prop 57. So probably even if anybody was caught, it's a nonviolent crime. loads of merchandise. Here's the message from Sergeant Donnelly. Knock it off. Knock it off. This is unacceptable. And police Strong language. Across the Bay Area are investigating all of these smash and grabs. They do appear to be somewhat connected, at least at some point. Meanwhile, if you're going out shopping, make sure you're extra careful and extra vigilant because, again, these detectives tell me that these thieves could strike again. In Oakland, Justin Andrews, KPIX5. And we now know that five employees have minor injuries from those thefts at the Walnut Creek Nordstrom on Saturday. And these crimes appear to be happening more often now. So what is the state saying about it? Here's Governor Newsom's response. Unacceptable. Period, full stop. You have already seen on 680 SR4 increased highway patrol uh, presence. Uh, you will see substantially more starting today in and around areas uh, that are highly trafficked coming into the holiday season, Black Friday, uh, in shopping malls. Uh, so the state is supplementing those efforts and we are going to be uh, uh, more aggressive still in this space to help support cities. Yeah, so the same stuff we already talked about. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a, you know, all that stuff, nonviolent crimes to bring it full circle, Prop 57, assault with a deadly weapon, Nonviolent, not a big deal. Um, and I guess I don't know if more police on the ground are really necessarily going to help, but they'll try it and see what happens. Yeah, I know we uh, we poked, uh, you know, that officer said knock it off, but that, he's probably constrained of actually what he can say based on right those laws and his jurisdiction. Uh, county, his mayor, uh, well, Walnut Creek. I'm not probably a very progressive mayor and progressive county supervisors and city council. So he's restrained in what he can actually say, right? That, oh, if you, you know, you can't say if you come, you know, we'll, we'll arrest you on the spot, but knock it off, right? That's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. I I mean, super strong language, knock it off. It doesn't sound very threatening. And just to point out standing behind uh, uh, noodles and this is Scott Weiner. Uh, assemblyman is he no, he's a senator state senator scott winger uh, spot sponsor of the infamous sb 145 which was allowing uh what was it consenting 
minors or, or if you're underage, uh, I believe it's, it's no up longer to, up to 10 years, uh, up to 10, right? If, if a consenting minor, if the age gap is less than 10 years, then it's not considered a statutory rape. Yeah. All right. Last video and then we'll get out of here. Uh, been a great discussion it's you're almost at the hour mark so i don't want to keep you too long but we'll hit this last video just because i thought it was funny and i'm like you know they're trying to spin it that you you can't call it looting it's you're actually it's incorrect to call it looting so we'll end on sort of a lighter note now, some bay area police departments have called what happened this weekend looting we saw similar crimes happen in the wake of the george floyd protest but are these weekend crimes truly considered looting Race and social justice reporter Julian Glover is here to give us uh, some context into that word, looting. Julian? Hi, good evening, Dan. Yeah, if you look up the California law, which I spent some time doing today, the answer is no. According to the textbook definition, these thefts did not happen under any type of state of emergency or disaster. But we know that some... Technically, stop him right there. You can tell this guy's not an attorney because he's not looking between the lines. Technically, we are under state of emergency, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, I mean, Newsom did just declare a state of emergency and extended it. So technically, it's a state of emergency. So he's already wrong on that point. But we'll uh, we'll keep listening. Some Bay Area police departments are calling what we saw looting. Others simply calling it organized robbery. Analysts I spoke to today says the distinction matters. Here's why. The Louis Vuitton store was burglarized and looted. The Burberry's Westco Mall was burglarized and looted. That's San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott detailing his department's response to a wave of seemingly organized retail theft netting a million dollars in stolen luxury goods. Here's San Jose PD spokesman today. So we're talking about two incidents. We're not going to call this looting. Okay, this is organized robbery is what it is. He's talking about the $40,000 in merchandise stolen from Lululemon in Santana Row Saturday. Similar crimes hit Hayward and Walnut Creek this weekend with waves of suspects rushing stores leading to major losses. But according to the California Penal Code, what we saw was not looting. Looting is theft or burglary during a state of emergency resulting from an earthquake, fire, flood, riot, or other natural or man-made disaster. To some, the distinction may be small. But Lorenzo Boyd, professor of criminal justice and community policing and a retired veteran police officer, told me words matter. Because looting is a term that we typically use when people of color or urban dwellers are doing something. We tend not to use that term for other people when they do the exact same thing. To be clear, we don't know the identities or races of the majority of the thieves. But we do know there was no local emergency declared in the Bay Area cities that experienced smash and grabs. So looting, using the term looting, is racist. So if everyone out there is listening, looting is racist. Don't use the term looting because it, it, it connotates a certain image in people's minds. Am I, it, is that what I'm hearing from this? That's correct. But, but since we are in a state of emergency, uh, it is applicable. Um, but as it relates to... What he said, uh, you know, uh, people of a, uh, people of people of a certain race and urban dwellers, uh, it's been a pejorative to describe crime, right? Looting, so you know, can't use that off limits. 
I mean, they are technically correct that if they want to talk about the actual crime that anybody would be punished with, it'd probably be burglary or armed robbery. But to say, oh, don't use the term looting is just kind of a, an odd story. But um, we'll keep listening and see how they finish the story and tell you don't don't say looting because looting is now racist. Change the language this weekend. However, the crimes did follow the contentious verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial Friday. A jury found the teen not guilty on all counts for killing two men during a protest against police brutality last year in Wisconsin. <laughs> Local protests this weekend in response were... No, pause really quick. You, you, see, yeah. you, you see the narrative though, right? It's now a shift away from this, actually a focus on the crime, but now it's about the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, right? Like it, it's the tie-in of the criminal justice system is systemic racist like you see the pivot you know i just wanted to point that out yeah it, it they're tying it all together that they don't want to say looting and again they're still kind of and this isn't a show about kyle rittenhouse and the verdict and all that they're still pushing that the kyle rittenhouse issue was a racial issue which a lot of people were kind of dumbfounded when they found out that the three guy, the two guys who were killed were white. The one guy who had his bicep vaporized was white. It had nothing to do with race. It was between four white guys. Um, so, it, and he's still kind of pushing this narrative of like, well, it was a racial thing. The Kyle Rittenhouse, what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse back then. Um, I also like the people who are, marching around with the Joseph Rosenbaum and uh, Anthony Huber heroes posters, because if anyone watched the trial, they know that Joseph Rosenbaum uh, sexually assaulted minors. I mean, that's the, the professional way to put it. So um, that's who they're putting up as heroes in these protests. Exactly. So. Well, it's, it's much in the same way with the George Floyd trial where it was made, you know, George Floyd being killed, uh, because he was black, but that was never brought up in the trial. And when Attorney General, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison went on 60 Minutes and they asked him if race was an issue in this trial, he said no. Um, so again, you know, it's just the two linkings of these trials, the false narratives that there was racism involved, which clearly there was not. These types of massive organized smashing grabs were happening before the Rittenhouse situation happened, it's a false equivalency. It's people trying to politicize crime. Do you think that that was an accurate use of the terminology? This seems like it's an organized smash and grab robbery. This doesn't seem like looting. And we're thinking of scenarios where uh, first responders are completely overwhelmed and folks often maybe on their own. Martin Reynolds, co-executive director of the Robert C. Maynard Institute of Journalism Education, thinks back to Katrina, when largely black New Orleans residents were labeled looters for crimes of survival, stealing water, food, and supplies before federal government aid arrived. People draw their own conclusions. If you, the terminologies that you use are tethered to people's understanding of how they have been used in the past, so, so really quick, really quick, I, I think what's interesting is that they're drawing the conclusion that the people that were looting were black, right? We don't, we don't know the color of their skin, but they're essentially assuming that the people that were looting were, were black, right? Like that's the insinuation. 
and that, you know, and then they're using Katrina as, you know, that, that, you know, people, you know, black people were looting. So, so we don't know the color of the people's skin that were looting, but, but they are assuming essentially insinuating that they were all black. I, I think, you know, just wanted to point that out. Yeah. And, um, no, I, I mean, you can say it's a organized smash and grab, but I mean, the, the kind of tongue in cheek joke, it's not really a joke that kind of everybody knew was that if Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted on all charges, there would likely be riots in response to it. And I don't remember there being a lot of smash and grab before Kyle Rittenhouse, it kind of got on, it, it, it just sort of rose this past weekend after the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict. So who knows whether or not people use the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict as an excuse to riot and then do these smash and grabs, knowing full well, like, oh, there's going to be riots and there's going to be chaos. So let's organize and we'll hit these stores. Um, so, I mean, are they they splitting hairs here? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think they're splitting hairs as to like, oh, it's not under a, a national a disaster or state of emergency. Um, but, you know, it, it is interesting how you pointed, you, you picked up on it. I, I didn't when I first watched it. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't was how they kind of pivoted all this to a, well, don't, don't call it looting because it's racist. And they they kind of tied in and pivoted to a racial issue um, that you can't call it looting because it's it's racial and legally you're incorrect. Um, I don't know, but it people are calling them looters because it you know but one way or the other it's still happening. It doesn't change the fact that it's still happening. Um, so let's see. There's about thirty seconds left, so we'll just finish it up stress the importance of media media literacy for viewers like you out there that's thinking critically about the language being used by public officials and also also us uh, here in the media the bottom line words matter and precision is key as we're all trying to understand these complex issues facing our society reporting live i'm julian glover abc7 news so I'll, I'll agree with them i'll agree with them that it's important to get your words correct especially as an attorney, I see people get stuff wrong all the time legally and reporters don't know the law, but they pretend they know the law. Um, so I'll agree with them on that, that it's very important. It doesn't change the fact it, it, it you know, call a rose by anything else. It's still a rose. Um, we still have this problem. And I think he's kind of, not focusing on the main issue, which is there's this big issue going on in California and we're worried about calling it the wrong thing. So I, to me, does that seem like, am I crazy to think like this isn't really the most important thing that we should really be focused on what's wrong with this? What's wrong with why are these crimes happening? Why are they organized burglaries, smash and grabs, not whether we call it a looting or a burglary. I, I don't know. Well, I I, th I think they know that this is a problem. Like the main problem is that these stores are being ransacked, organized robbery, whatever you want to call it, right? Th that's the problem. That's the issue at hand. 
I mean, these, the, the, our neighborhoods are unsafe. And now the media is deflecting that this is not an issue of the actual events that are happening. It's the way that we're calling it and approaching, uh, you know, we're being insincere. We're being, you know, insincere when calling it, uh, looting, right? So the, the, I think the media, there, there is a sort of nefarious approach to this that they really are trying to pivot to their viewers. I mean, you know, being a local affiliate in the Bay Area, certainly they're they're broadcasting to a very liberal uh, demographic, and so this is going to hit with a lot of people. Um, so you know, that's that, that that's what they're doing here, and that's kind of what I see the approach that they're taking. Uh, you know, to just essentially deflect from the issue, and now it's the problem of the wording and the phrasing. Yeah, I mean, even if you were to, to say to this guy, fine, you don't want to call it looting. There's issues. You think it has a bad connotation. What do you want to call it? Can we call it mass burglaries? Can we call it smash and grab? Is that something? Can we use that terminology? And I think that's one problem. We could probably do a whole show on it as well as why they, the media and the left change the language all the time, because they always kind of shift the language away from the point so that you don't really ever get to the point. Um, it does. He, he, he doesn't come out and say like, Hey, legally and factually or, or culturally, we should say it's actually just burglarizing. It's not looting. And let's call it that. But he doesn't say that. He just says, well, let's just make sure that we're we're honest with our reporting and, and we, we make sure that our, our words matter. And it's like, OK, but what are the words you talk to two experts? What are the two words? What are the words we should use to describe what's going on here in California? So they never really get to that answer. Exactly. I think, uh, yeah, and I think I think that's what they want to focus on. They actually want to focus on the problem. They just want to focus on the wording. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been over an hour. This was an awesome discussion. I don't want to keep you too long. I thank you so much for sticking around for the full hour and a little bit extra. Um, give us a plug about the San Diego Young Republicans and what else you're doing here in San Diego. Um, where people can find you and stuff like that. You're all over the place, so you're easy to get to. Um, so, yeah, plug away. Thank you, Phil, and uh, thank you again for having me on. You know, California Underground is huge here in California, and the way that you've grown your following is, is tremendous, and you have, you have a lot of respect in the community, so it's certainly an honor to be on tonight. Um, but, yep, as Phil mentioned, I'm president tier of the San Diego Young Republicans. I'm also the National Committee Man of the California uh, state young Republicans. Um, so, you know, what we're focused on here, uh, in California is really rising up the new crop of, uh, conservatives in the Republican party. And we're doing that in two ways, uh, to educate, activate, uh, and we're achieving those means, uh, you know, through social engagement, uh, as well as grassroots. Um, so if you want to get more information, you can go on sdyr.org, uh, become a member. Um, and get some more information about some of the things that we've doing, the events that we have in the past. Uh, going into 2022, it's going to be all hands on deck, uh, you know, to take back the House of Representatives and also be focused on these local races here uh, in San Diego, uh, as well as up and down uh, California. So uh, if you're not in San Diego, um, there's, there's many ways to get involved with other local Young Republican chapters. Um, so you can go on CaliforniaYoungRepublican.org. Uh, and find a chapter near your area. Um, but again, you know, really trying to, you know, foster the young base, really, 
you know, our, our demographic is ages 18 to 40, but, you know, as long as you're a conservative, young Republican at heart, we'll take you. Uh, we need all hands on deck. And, uh, yep, uh, again, thank you, Phil. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's continue to drive the movement forward and, uh, you know, take back California. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, keep an eye on Morgan, what he's doing, and follow him, his own personal account as well as his uh, Young Republicans account. And if you're in San Diego, check out an event. They're always fun. Um, I always try to get out to as many as possible. They're always at cool locations. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for them. So, and as always, 9 a.m., Coffee in California Politics, and once a week, weekly podcast here on YouTube. And uh, I guess that's it. I'll see you later. Have a good night, everybody. listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it, and follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 